The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. All right, if you have your Bibles, open to Romans chapter 16, going to be in verses 25 through 27. Uh, thank you for letting me come and share with you guys. I have great affection uh, for this church. I have great love for the people in this church. They only know about a quarter of you now, right? How amazing it is that this church has grown, uh, how faithful God has been to make it so fruitful. Um, I get to see what God is doing from a distance and hear through testimonies of all that uh, he is doing in people's lives and the sort of growth that's taking place. Uh, for me personally, I have such affection for this church. Uh, being here on the early days and, and, and being, you know, a young buck out of college uh, and being discipled by Tracy, uh, Tracy uh, pouring his life into me, giving me opportunities to preach, showing me how to teach the word, how to understand the word. But more importantly than that, just showing me how to be a man of God who walks with God. And who loves him and serves him. And so nothing but love and affection for this church. So thankful to be here with you guys. Uh, If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans. Again, Romans 16, verse 25. It says this. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, we praise you for your grace. God, we praise you that you are the living God. Lord, you are not uh, made of stone or brick or wood. You don't have eyes that, uh, that cannot see or ears that cannot hear or a mouth that cannot speak or hands that cannot reach. You are the living God. You see all things. You hear all things. When you speak, you speak life. And when your hands reach out, you heal and you restore and you bring in. And so, God, what our prayer is this morning is that we would, we would hear from you and that you would move in our midst. Father, as we just sang, we need you. We need you more than food. We need you more than drink. We need you more than money. We need you more than everything. Apart from you, we have nothing. So, God, we confess our great need for you and we Beg you, Lord, would you move in our hearts, sanctify us in your truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been charged with the task of of preaching on the wisdom of God. There's two types of wisdom in general when we look at the scriptures. Uh, There is the wisdom, this is probably the most common way we think of it, the wisdom that comes from God. Right. It comes from God. It's given to us. It's placed in our hands so that we can make decisions That are good and that are right. And for example, should I get a tattoo on my face? Wisdom would say no. Right? God gives us wisdom to make decisions that are right and that are good. 
But then there's other types. There, there's, there's, there's a second type of wisdom that is, that is also in the general wisdom of God. And it is not the wisdom that comes from God, but is the wisdom of God. Meaning it's wisdom that only He possesses. That wisdom is made manifest in the way that He decrees things to be and to happen. He ordains things to happen in his particular way, according to his particular plan. You could sum it up by saying this. God's wisdom means that he is sovereign over all things. You want to think of it this way. Uh, God's wisdom is essentially like a script. He's written the script. The script is written. His will has has been uh, already foretold and heaven and earth are essentially a theater where his script, his wisdom, his sovereign plans and purposes just merely play out through the events that take place in the world and even in our lives. If you want to sum it up, you just say this, God's wisdom is to speak to, 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 to speak of God's wisdom is to speak of his control over everything. Friends, there is so much hope bound up in that. So much hope bound up in a sovereign God in control of all things. Because here's the deal. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have tribulation. And we can do everything in our power to somehow uh, uh, hedge ourselves out of the trouble that comes in this world, we can buy big, nice homes with like robot security dogs to make sure that nothing happens to us, right? We can put our kids in the best schools and we can buy healthcare policies that cover us for everything. We can do everything in our power to try to prevent trouble from happening. But the reality of this, trouble is coming. In this world, you will have trouble. You will have tribulation. But the good news for us is that Jesus says, in this world you have trouble, but I have overcome the world. And that only is good news if Jesus is sovereign Lord of all things. If he is not sovereign Lord of heaven and earth, then the news that he has overcome the world, which is full of trouble and tribulation, means nothing for us. That ultimately we can take heart. We can take comfort. We can have hope in the midst of trials and hardships and loss and pain and suffering because Jesus has overcome the world and he's the sovereign Lord of it. The question that we're going to look at today in Romans 16, 25 to 27, is this. God is wise, and His wisdom plays out according to His plan. What is the purpose? What's the goal of all of His wise acts? And the answer is this. God, in His wisdom, He acts in order to do two things, based on this passage, to make us godly and to bring Him glory. God moves and acts in his wisdom to make us godly and to bring himself glory. Look in verse 25. Paul says this, Now to him who is able, 
That's a sermon in and of itself. Right? To him who is able, he's not weak. He's not powerless. He's not feeble. He's not incompetent. To him who is able. And we want to put our trust in so many other things that just aren't able. Put our, st- our, our trust in the stuff of this world and the things of this world. Thinking maybe that's able. Maybe that's able to give me the life that I want. And the Lord is the only one who's able. Able to do what? Not to him who is able to do what? To strengthen you. Why would Paul write to a group of believers and say, as an encouragement to you, the last thing I want to encourage you in is this. God is able to strengthen you. Unless they were going through trials and struggles and suffering and hardships. Paul does not say, God will solve your circumstances. God will remedy the situations in your life. He says this, in all of the situations in your life, whatever they may be, He is able to strengthen you. This is what's normal for the Christian life. When we give our lives to Jesus, it doesn't mean that all our problems and all the hardships and all the tribulations and all the suffering that we may endure, all the labor that we may give to Him, that doesn't go away. Rather, what it means is now we know who it's from. But he is able to strengthen us. Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. John says, I, John. John, by the way, is on the island of Patmos. It it says that uh, he's on the island of Patmos. Punishment, exile for what? On account of the word of God. On account of preaching the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So he's there being punished by the authorities for preaching Jesus. And here's what he says to them. He says, I, John, your brother and partner in what? In the blessings of God. In the good life. You got to see this view on Patmos, baby. He says, no. John, your brother and partner in what? In the tribulation. In the kingdom. And in the patient endurance that are in Jesus. What is part of the life of Christ? Being in Christ. Tribulation. Kingdom. Which I would say kingdom labor. Laboring for the kingdom. Pouring ourselves out for the kingdom of Jesus. And the work that he wants to accomplish. And patient endurance. Ain't nobody got time for that. Right? Is that what Jesus has for us? Tribulation. To labor for the kingdom. And to patiently endure in the midst of it. When I look at the last few years, it's amazing to see where God has brought uh, Susie and I and then us as a church Four years ago, we left here to plant Nola Baptist Church with a group of people, moved down to New Orleans. Uh, We love New Orleans, by the way. Susie and I, we love living in New Orleans. We love everything about it. It's a great city. Uh, You know, I I love the fact that I can go and run in Audubon Park sometimes. And I love uh, the fact that, man, you just get to see a lot of people. Uh, I've seen some celebrities. The, The most impressive celebrity I've seen is Morris Bart. 
And uh, it's a true story. It's a true story. I was running in Audubon Park, and I had to go to the bathroom. And so they've got these bathrooms out there. And he was coming to it at the same time, and, and he beat me to it. And no lie, he looked at me, and he opened the door, and he said, one stall, that's all, and then slammed it. I, I kid you not. I kid you not. We, we love what ministry is like in New Orleans. God has enabled us to minister to the craziest uh, most interesting people in the world. I was playing golf with somebody's on Friday. And they're like, man, you got to tell us some crazy New Orleans stories. And so I did. It is so much fun. We love our lives down there. But it's been full of disappointment, frustration, hardship, heartache. Nine out of ten people we meet that we labor for, we bring into our home, we preach the gospel, we pray for them, we give our lives and our time for them, end up walking away. We pray and we labor. God, would you save someone? God, would you raise up people who could be disciples? God, we want to see you move in power. How disheartening it is. When you look at your ministry and the one thing that you see lacking is void of God's power to save. We've gone through in 2016, we had 22 members. Now we have eight. Some things are great. We rejoice in those things. We rejoice in the fact that we were able to plant a church just right down the road. Four of our members went out to do that. Then the rest have uh, either moved away, even gone through the trial of a church split where people left because they no longer wanted to be a part of our church. Many nights, Susie and I have cried, holding hands, praying, God, would you please move? God, where are you? God, what are you doing? We long for you to move. We long for you to grow your church. We long for you to, we long to see you in power, minister people's lives and save them and transform them. But God doesn't pull back the curtain of the physical realm. He doesn't pull back the curtain of the physical realm and enable us to see his plans and his purposes. He doesn't allow us to see how it's all going to come together. He doesn't allow us to see uh, how all of these things are working to accomplish something. He doesn't promise us that. You may be in the midst of trials and hardships and tribulations yourself, maybe laboring for the kingdom, trying to see, you know, reach your coworker or whatever it may be, and you're wondering, what is this even for? What is God doing? He doesn't promise that He allows us to see how it's all going to turn out. But here's what He does promise us. He promises us that in the midst of those things, He is able to strengthen us so that we can endure. That's what God promises us today. That's what God gives us as hope. Our hope is not that this world will be void of trouble, void of hardship, void of suffering, void of loss, void of kingdom labor. Our hope is that Jesus overcomes. 
He is our hope. He is the one we look to. He is the one that we're trusting in. And I ask you, where are your eyes fixed? Are your eyes fixed on your circumstances? Are your eyes fixed in the the muck of your pain and your suffering? Are your eyes fixed on the things that have caused you loss and, 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 and grief? Or are your eyes fixed on Jesus believing this? He is the sovereign Lord of the universe. His wisdom is perfect. His plans are His plans. And they have purpose and they have meaning to them. How is God going to strengthen us in the midst of those things? What are the means by which he strengthens us? Paul goes on and and gives us those means in verse 25. He says this, Now, to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. What's the means? What's the normative means by which God is going to strengthen us in the midst of trials and tribulations and kingdom labor and hardships? Whatever it might be, whatever you're going through, what's the means by which God is going to strengthen you and enable you to endure? He says this, it is my gospel. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That good news that though we were once dead in our trespasses, Dead in our transgressions and sins, we've been made alive together with Christ. That good news that though me and my sin, because of what I have done, have rightly incurred the wrath of God, invoked the wrath of God upon my life for my sin. And yet God in his grace and God in his goodness and God in his mercy has taken that and he's placed it on Jesus and nailed him to the cross. That sin and death has been swallowed up by the love of God in Christ. And that those who receive him, those who believe in him, will be called children of God, the scriptures promise. Paul says, preach that to yourself. When you're in the midst of trials and tribulations, preach that good news to yourself. But it's not just preaching a syllogism to ourselves over and over and over again, right? It's not just... Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe that is true. Therefore, I'm saved. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe that is true. Therefore, I'm saved. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is this, is you need to dig deep. Dig deep into the wisdom of God, into that mystery that has long been hidden for ages. And then he goes on in verse 26. But has now been disclosed. And through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations. According to what? The command of the eternal God. He says this. You want to know where your strength is going to be found? To endure under trial and tribulation and trouble and hardship, it's going to be found in pouring yourself into the wisdom of God made known through His Word. It's about going from Genesis to Revelation, seeing how God's plans and His purposes in Christ have unfolded. And what you find is, not only is this God's story, this is my story. This is a story that I find myself in with a sovereign God with all wisdom. Working out his purposes. Here's a warning though. When you do that. You will be frustrated in some ways. 
Because God is not efficient. He's not efficient in the ways that we think efficiency should be. I don't know if I can say that in a more confusing way. (laughs) Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He makes a promise. A seed of the woman is going to come and he will crush the head of the serpent. Thousands of years later, that seed comes. What's the next step in that plan? This old barren couple. You're you're the conduit that I'm going to accomplish this through. Then you fast forward. The descendants of this old barren couple are now slaves in Egypt for 400 years. That's not efficient. And then he releases them. And what happens? They go into the land and they start fighting the people for years, experiencing defeat. They raise up kings for themselves who are worthless, ungodly. The priests are just as bad. More than anything else, the people themselves are under a covenant that does not work. This covenant that they have, the law of Moses, it's not able to produce in them the one thing that it demands. That you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. And so they, for years, are walking in futility, giving themselves over to idols and forsaking God, coming under the discipline of God. That's not efficient. And then you get to the life and ministry of Jesus, born in Bethlehem. This know-nothing, you know, farmer, rancher town doesn't start his ministry until his 30s. Then what's he doing? He's going to rural places. No place to lay his head. No place to call home. With dirty feet. Riding around on donkeys. It's not efficient. God does not operate in efficient ways, the way we measure efficiency. Efficiency is what we value. We say, let's do what works and what's the easiest pathway to get there. But that's not how God works. Hear God this morning, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are higher for, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts, your thoughts. When I look back on the last 33 years of my life, I don't see efficiency. But I see God's faithfulness. Amen. Growing up, my mom was married to a man who was an alcoholic. He was abusive and he was angry. And I remember many nights of sitting in my room, hearing the yelling, hearing the cussing, hearing the screaming, hearing the breaking of things and praying, God, where are you? God, where are you? Would you would you fix this situation? God, would you turn things around? And I remember one of the most vivid memories I have. I'm I'm something like 10 years old, maybe in the third or fourth grade. Probably got held back a couple of years. So I don't there's no telling where I was at in my my school trajectory, but I'm around 10 years old. And as God would have it in his wisdom, I'm reading the book of Exodus and there's, he's drunk. 
And he's screaming and he's yelling and he's cussing and he's breaking things. And all of that is going on. And I'm just sitting there, my door closed, and I'm reading Exodus. And I get to chapter 19 and the people say, we will be your people and you will be our God. And then you fast forward to chapter 32. And what are the people doing? Moses, you're taking too long. Let's create a God ourselves and let's worship him and, and, let's, and let's give him the praise and the glory. As I'm reading that and I'm hearing all of this in the background going on, it's like as if God turned on a light bulb and things became crystal clear for me. Look at what sin does in our lives. Look at what sin does in the lives of Israel. Look at what sin is doing in his life. And look at what sin is doing in my life. Oh God, what hope do I have? What hope do I have apart from you? What hope is there for me? And I kept on reading. I kept on reading. And I got to chapter 34, verses 6 through 7, where God presents himself to Moses. And the word of God, the proclamation of God of who he is drowned out. The yelling and the screaming and the cussing and the breaking. And here's what the Lord said to Moses. The Lord, the Lord, a good a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. God, use those things. God, use that trial. God, use that tribulation to do what? To show me I am able. Your hope is in me. Don't look to the world. The world is broken with sin. Look to me. That prepared us. Prepared me. I look back on that. Prepared me for the struggles we've had as a church in New Orleans. Prepared us for that day where it would require slow, long, at times unfruitful labor in the gospel ministry. Knowing God was able then, He is able now to strengthen us to endure. We move on in verse 26. We see, begin to get into the goals, the purpose of God's wisdom, of His plan, of His script, of all these things playing out in our lives. And He says this in verse 26. Uh, I'm going to begin again in verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed. And through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to do what? Here's a purpose clause. To bring about the obedience of faith. Why does God do what he does? Why does God act in the way that he does, either in the grand stage of world history or even in our own individual lives and our lives as a church? Why does God do what he does in some to make us godly? To make us godly. God's chief concern is not that we are happy in our circumstances, but that we are happy in Him. It's God's chief concern. That's God's chief purpose for our life. That not we're happy in our circumstances, but that we are happy 
in him. The greatest means, let's face it, the greatest means that God accomplishes that of making us godly, of sanctifying us, is through trials. It's through tribulations. It's through hardships. It's through laboring for him. It's then he begins to sanctify us. It's then he begins to conform us more and more to his image and make us the people that he wants us to be. God will give us the strength. There's a great illustration of this in the Pilgrim's Progress. Um, Pilgrim's Progress is, is a story written by John Bunyan of a man named Christian who lives in the city of destruction, and he's got this burden on his back. And this burden is the guilt of his sin. It is the uh, shame of his sin. And he lives in the city of destruction. He knows that God's wrath and God's judgment is coming soon, that that destruction of the city of destruction looms. And so he leaves his wife and he leaves his kids, and he's making his way to the celestial city. And he encounters all sorts of, of trials and hardships and temptations that want to pull him away from that path towards God. And he finally makes his way to the cross. And when he sees the cross and he sees Jesus on the cross, instantly the burden falls off of his back. And he puts his faith in Jesus and he gives his life to him. And then he goes into the house of a man called Interpreter. An interpreter begins to instruct him in some things. An interpreter brings him to a room and in the wall of the room there is a flame coming out of the wall. And there's a man who's pouring water constantly on the flame. But the flame doesn't go out. The flame just keeps getting hotter and hotter and brighter and brighter. That man is just constantly pouring water on the flame. And so Christian says to interpreter, what is this? What is this? And the interpreter says that this fire symbolizes the work of grace that is wrought in the heart. He says, and the man pouring water is the devil. Day and night. He pours water trying to extinguish the flame. Friends, there is no doubt that the evil one is working day and night to try to extinguish the flame of faith in our lives. Right now, he is pouring that water into your heart, into your mind, discouraging you from trusting in God, discouraging you from placing your faith in him, discouraging you from walking with him and trusting him and being godly in the same way that he did to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. He does to all of us every day. Don't trust God. Trust in yourself. Walk in your ways. Walk in your wisdom. Give in to your selfishness. Give in to your pride. Give in to your greed. Give in to your lust. Give in to all of these things because they will give you life. Don't trust him. Give up. These trials are too hard. These, these circumstances and these hardships are too difficult. You need to give up. Enjoy yourself. Pouring that water constantly to extinguish faith, but then the interpreter is not done because he takes him around the other side of that wall. He takes him to the other side of that wall. And what he sees is, is that there is another man on that other side of the wall and he is pouring oil. And the interpreter tells him, Christian asks him, who is this? And he says this, the interpreter says this, this is Christ 
who continually with the oil of his grace maintains the work already begun in the heart. What is Jesus doing? While the devil's pouring that water to extinguish faith, what is Jesus doing? Behind the scenes, unseen, pouring the oil of his grace so that you and I might be strengthened to endure. And he goes on and he says this, by the means of this, by the means of the oil, despite what the devil can do, the souls of his people prove gracious still. When I was 10 years old, reading Exodus, crying out to God, where are you, Jesus, where are you? He was pouring oil, strengthening faith, enabling faith. When Susie and I have held hands, crying, God, what are you doing? Where are you, Jesus, where are you? He's there pouring oil of his grace, strengthening faith. Believer in Jesus, when your marriage is falling apart and you say, where are you, Jesus, where are you? He's there pouring the oil of his grace, enabling you to endure, enabling you to walk in godliness, enabling you to be the people he's called you to be. When you're experiencing hardships and trials of unspeakable depths. And you cry out, Jesus, where are you? He's there, unseen, pouring the oil of His grace, enabling you to endure. When you have sin that is dark and shameful, and you hide in the deepest places of your life, unwilling to share with anyone, afraid of what they'll think of you, and you feel as though you have no chance of repenting of this and walking in freedom, where is Jesus? Pouring the oil of his grace. Enabling you to endure. When you labor for the kingdom. You're praying for your co-worker and you're trying to share the gospel with your co-worker and it's going nowhere. Or your neighbor or your mom, whoever it might be. And you think it's hopeless. Jesus, where are you? He is there pouring the oil of his grace, enabling you to endure so that you do not give up, but you become the godly people that he wants you to be. The purpose of all that God does, one of the purposes is that we would be godly. Verse 27, though, we see the second general purpose of why God does what he does, of all his wise acts. We see it in verse 27. It says this, to the only wise God be what? Glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. The reason why God does what he does, not only to make us godly, and these aren't mutually exclusive, but so that he might get the glory. The grand purpose, the supreme purpose of all of God's plans and purposes are that he would be glorified and magnified above all things. Everything in our lives exists for his glory. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16, all things, it says, were created by him and for him. 
Our time is for Him. Our money is for Him. Our spouses are for Him. Our children are for Him. Our failures and our success are for Him. Our churches are for Him. Everything exists for His glory. And this will be something that either haunts us and pushes us to reject God and to be bitter towards Him, to rebel against Him, or it will be a soothing balm bringing us inexpressible joy and comfort and peace, knowing that our God is sovereign, our God is in control, He is infinitely wise, and His plans and His purposes are perfect. We can trust Him. We know that He's making us godly. We know that He's accomplishing His glory. So today, I don't know where you are with the Lord Jesus. I don't know where your life is. And I, like I said earlier, I'm just a young buck. But I can say with certainty, because the Word of God says it, that if we will yield ourselves to the all true, wise, holy, sovereign God, yielding ourselves to that process that He is, is, is bringing about to make us holy and live for His glory, we will have life We will have joy. We will have peace. Everything that God intends for us, even though our circumstances may not be what we want them to be. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you. God, thank you that you are the living God. Thank you for Jesus, the resurrected one. The one who lives to make intercession. The one who lives to pour the oil of his grace. The one that lives to enable us to endure and to, and to, to persevere in the obedience of faith. To persevere in godliness and to live for your glory. We thank you for Jesus, God. I pray right now for believers in this church that may be going through trials. May be experiencing sorrow and pain for the things that have happened. I pray, God, that they would be able to look to you as the infinite wise God. Trusting in you that you are good. Trusting in you that you are faithful. Rejoicing in the ways that you've used things to make them godly. In the ways that you've been glorified. Pray for those going through trials right now that they would submit to that process and look to you. Taking their eyes off of their circumstances and looking to you. And Lord, I pray for those in here that don't know you. God, in our flesh, what we want is a God who is small and who requires little of us. God, who doesn't lay claim to the things in our lives, but allows us to just go on. A God who's not infinitely wise, who doesn't have a script, who doesn't have plans and purposes, which is there to kind of comfort us, make us feel better. God, I pray that they would see that the kingdom of heaven is like a man who found a treasure in a field. And when he found the treasure in a field, he hid it and he went and he sold everything that he had, gave up everything that he had. And he, with joy, full joy in his heart, and he went and he bought that treasure. I pray that they would see that Jesus is that treasure. Worthy of giving everything up to because he is the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth.
We love you, God. We long to be people that reflect your glory. We long to be people that are godly. Lord, we long to be people that walk in faith in the infinitely wise God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.